The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week, myself or my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, comes to you to bring you the information that doctors used to talk about in doctor's lounges but are no longer allowed to talk about them in public. But this is the stuff that we think about and the ideas that we hold dear, and we try on this show to share with you what those ideas are so that you will be better informed and be able to advocate for yourself and for your family and for the needs and health care of both. Our show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only healthcare think tank run by physicians in the country. Our website is wwwd the number four pcfoundation.org. That's d four pcfoundation.org. Go to it. You're on your computer. Go to it now. Give five dollars, fifty dollars, five hundred dollars, whatever you can give, tax deductible, so that you can help us to continue to get our message out while it's still possible for us to f- to speak freely about these issues. Um, so today's show, I think, is going to be an important show. You're not going to want to miss a minute of this. And the things I prepared this show about five days ago, and in the interim, I'm listening to radio, and the things that I'm going to talk about today are all over the airwaves by um, popular talk show hosts. It's, this is, this is uh, I think, um, uh, a show that's going to be spot on and with, with a finger right on the heartbeat of what is happening. And the show I, I have entitled for the website, Follow the Science, but it's really Follow the Political Science, because Follow the Science is just another one of the left's mantras, another one of their uh, catchphrases, their, their way to, to capture and control language. And they don't really mean it, of course, and I'll I'll prove that to you um, a little bit as we get into the show further. But three months ago, everything that I talked about on the radio was felt to be disinformation or misinformation. And you've heard me talk about disinformation and misinformation, that those are really left-wing catchphrases that are meant to silence opposition. It means anything that goes against their narrative is misinformation or disinformation. But at that time, there were calls to take away my medical license, to discredit me, to hang me in public. Well, maybe not literally, but figuratively. And I was, I was, it was um, uh, written that what I was saying on this show was harming people because of my speech. I was hurting people because of what I was saying. Now, 
since that happened and since all of this, there have been a slew of new medical information that has come out that has changed everything, right? We've, we, we now know so much more from a medical standpoint about COVID that is factoring into our opinions about how we, we are going to now react towards the pandemic. There have been many medical trials that have reported since then, right? No. What slew of new information has come to light? What retrospective studies have been conducted to evaluate whether measures that have been implemented by politicians to control the pandemic have been effective? Because suddenly, yesterday's disinformation is today's accepted facts. So what's changed? How has there have been a, a 180? Why this all of a sudden turnaround? You know, and again, you have to remember that disinformation is the left's the 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 the, the newspeak. If you are a George Orwell fan, a 1984 fan, you will remember newspeak, which is the new language that the the ruling class comes up with to um, to uh, uh, affirm what. The, their truths are, and anything that differs from that is is illegal. And that's and I'm going to reread 1984. I will reference it, and I've seen blurbs, but I think it's very important to reread that book now because we are living it. But I can think of one study though that was released last week that does give new information. And that study came out of Johns Hopkins University. So what did that study say? Well, it looked at the effectiveness of lockdowns on saving lives. Important, important study, right? Did did the measures that were undertaken to save lives during the COVID pandemic actually work. So what was the conclusion of this study? Well, it was that lockdowns reduced COVID mortality, that means deaths from COVID, by a whopping 0.2%. That's two people out of a thousand were saved because of the lockdowns in Europe and the U.S. Based on that, the conclusion from the Johns Hopkins group was that lockdowns had little to no public health benefit and instead imposed enormous economic costs and social costs and negative medical costs in terms of mental health, missed or delayed diagnoses, tens of thousands of people did not go to doctors and had conditions that either worsened or were untreatable because they couldn't get to see their doctors because of lockdowns, or other 
problems that occurred directly because of the lockdowns, like suicides, um, like an increase in mental illness, depression, um, and uh, drug overdoses and alcoholism. So this is quite a study, quite a finding. I think that this is very important. And Johns Hopkins University is no schlock university. It's a esteemed um, institution. And they concluded that the lockdown policies were ill-founded and should be rejected as a pandemic policy instrument. Wow. So, this study came out and it blew the doors off of what has been done over the past two years. So this study received widespread attention, right? It was, it, everybody knows about this study now. Nope. That's not what happened. In fact, that study received not a single mention, not one, on CNN or MSNBC or ABC or NBC or CBS. What, you say? How could that possibly be? How could it be ignored by the mainstream media? It's such an important study. But wait, it was also ignored by the New York Times, by the Washington Post, AP, Reuters, USA Today, Axios, Politico. It goes on and on. The study analyzed the effects of school shutdowns, business closures, and mask mandates, as well as shelter-in-place. Now, they said that they found that shelter-in-place reduced COVID mortality by about 3%, but when combined with other measures, it actually increased COVID mortality. Sheltering-in-place actually hurt people when they were not allowed to mingle with others outdoors. It was paradoxical, but this is what this study found. And those are scientific facts. You can't refute the numbers from a esteemed university like Johns Hopkins because the left never missed an opportunity to... Um, to bring up Johns Hopkins whenever the information supported their positions. So, if one is to take the left at their word, if we want to take them seriously when we hear their chant in unison to follow, quote, follow the science, end quote, then how do you explain the wholesale ignoring of an important new study from a prominent medical institution that they previously held up on a pedestal as the epitome of medical information. Remember in the early days of the pandemic when Johns Hopkins University had on its website the COVID tally, it had the number of new cases, around the world, in the United States, the number of hospitalizations, the number of deaths. They looked at it by state by state. 
and the left, the media, put that up as a as a uh, visual on their news stations every single night. This was this was you know just just rammed down our throats about what these numbers are coming out of Johns Hopkins University. Well, did Johns Hopkins suddenly become disrespected? Did they suddenly lose their imprimatur as a source of trusted medical information? Of course not. That would be absolutely absurd to conclude that. But the latest findings coming out of this institution did not fit the narrative of the left. So, it could simply be ignored. So, again, follow the science is nothing more than a slogan. It is nothing more than a polemic. This is the left's mantra. It is how it's their newspeak. And really we should conclude from what just occurred that they are following the political science, not the medical science, because of this failure to report facts that don't fit their narrative and could not be a clearer demonstration of what the left is all about. The wheels are coming off this bus, my friends. In Virginia, Governor Glenn Youngkin has sided with parents, and he has made wearing of masks optional in schools, overriding school boards throughout the state, most notably in Loudoun County, which has become um, ground zero for parents against the school boards, which are exceedingly left all throughout the country. And parents are rising up and trying to take back control of their children's education and well-being, whether it is what the curriculum is teaching, like critical race theory, or their ability to be able to go to school, or if they go to school, whether or not they can be in school without wearing a mask. As judges in Virginia seek to overturn the governor's authority, Democrats have now rallied on the side of the GOP. Yesterday in Virginia, the the Democrat-run state legislature supported the governor's position to overturn mask mandates in schools. This was stunning. This, there was defection of 11 out of 21 Democrat legislators in Virginia to side with the Republicans and go against the grain and call BS on all of this and put a stop to it. This is, again, I think, 
incredible evidence of the wheels coming off the bus. The Democrats are panicking. And this is happening around the country, state after state after state. And they see the resistance is growing everywhere to their draconian measures to control people, not to control a pandemic, not to have any effect on putting an end to the pandemic, but instead to control human behavior, to put their thumb on the scales of what people can and cannot do, to control their lives, to control their to control the economy, to allow people to do what um, was at one point um, taken for granted as a American, if not human, right. The Democrats feel their chances of winning any election are slipping away because they, they basically overplayed their hand. Lifting these mandates further emphasizes the political nature of all of these supposed, quote, science-based policies, because no new information has come out pertaining to medical indications that would give credence to changing course. Nothing's changed from one day to the next. It's still exactly the same. But what has changed is the political calculus. And that is all you need to, to know. That's all you need to pay attention to, to understand exactly what's going on. So most of us on the conservative side knew this. But people who are not, who are in the middle or who are on the left, need to wake up because the evidence could not be clearer. Governors of California, California, did you hear me? California, Connecticut, Delaware, Oregon, New Jersey, and now New York are lifting their mask mandates in response to this. These are all Democrat strongholds. Why do you think they're doing this? Do you think they're doing it because all of a sudden new COVID information has come out that turned the light bulb on and made them realize that now we can start to liberalize things and not have these draconian measures in place? Of course not. These politicians on the left see the handwriting on the wall. They see the resistance building and that people are no longer going to accept what they are dishing out. Mayors of Boston and Chicago are pushing back. Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, who is probably the biggest hypocrite because she was flaunting not wearing masks in public when she was imposing these regulations on Chicagoans is now saying that we don't need to have masks in school and invoking the ire of the very powerful Chicago-based 
teachers unions it's the teachers unions that are basically pulling these strings they are one of the most left organizations in our country and one of the most toxic because they are responsible for pulling the strings of politicians and keeping kids home losing two years two years of medical I'm sorry of of education that they can never recapture and making them if they do go to school wear masks all day long and not be able to enjoy being children and not being able to learn properly because how could you possibly see somebody's face and what their mouth is doing when you're trying to learn a language or trying to teach a young person phonics or things of that sort but but this is um, this is what the left has done to our our youngsters they've sacrificed our youngsters at the foot of the altar of political power. And even in Virginia, where liberal judges are challenging the governor, the, the, the dominoes are falling. And, and that is no stronger proof than what happened yesterday in the Virginia legislature. The left is facing the reality that no one trusts them anymore. They don't even believe their own nonsense. They show up at sporting events, not wearing masks, when everyone else is required to do so. We saw at the NFL championship game in Los Angeles, Gavin Newsom and Magic Johnson palling up, taking pictures together, not wearing masks, and Everybody around them in the picture is wearing a mask. They're required to wear a mask because of Gavin Newsom. Mayor Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, and the mayor of San Francisco were palling around with celebrities, taking photos, not wearing masks, and the people in those cities have to wear masks. Is the hypocrisy not obvious to everybody at this point? There was a meme that went around this week of Stacey Abrams sitting in a classroom with big, big smile on her face, surrounded by about 50 children under age six, and every one of those youngsters who has very, very little risk of having serious um, Outcomes, serious complications if they were to get COVID. Each one of those children, every single one of them is wearing a mask. And Stacey Abrams has had to apologize for doing that. But of course, she couldn't say with, um, w apologize and, and just leave it at that. She had to go and say that the children were protecting her from COVID. This is just such garbage that how can anybody take any of this seriously anymore? And um, and this goes on and on and on. The left gets to apologize if they step out of bounds for uh, for um, uh, a a, uh, a a misstep. Um, in policy, if they um, if they violate their 
their own mandates, they get to say, my bad, and move on. If a conservative does something like that, they get destroyed. The double standards are so egregious and so obvious, and if anybody can't see this, they're blind. This is what happens in communist nations, in fascist nations. There are double standards. The ruling class gets to live by a different set of standards than the than the uh, masses. The people who are party members get to enjoy the fruits of the society, not the people who rise up and rebel against it. The wheels are coming off the bus. High school students are refusing to put masks on now in schools all around the country and standing up to their administrators in schools and school boards and saying enough is enough. Middle school students are standing up to school boards and reading their their very heartfelt um, uh, thoughts about how they can no longer tolerate what these quote adults are trying to impose on them truck drivers in Canada have had enough and they're standing up to their government and the draconian measures that their government is is uh, imposing on them and it is a a movement that is spreading it's not just in Ottawa it's in border cities all across Canada where there are border crossings to the US and it's getting the attention of the of the government here in the US and pundits are calling these truckers who are doing nothing but peacefully protesting and keeping their trucks as a blockade they're calling them insurgents and they are being threatened now by the Canadian military and people who support these people on GoFundMe sites are being likened to as as uh, as insurgents, as January sixth insurgents, and they the money that they're giving to support these protests are illegally being stolen from the people who gave them to this cause only to be able to be redistributed by the companies that support these sites and being given to causes that they they seem or they think are worthy and worthwhile. The left is desperate. Our government is more concerned about peaceful truckers who are protesting at our northern border than they are the invasion taking place at our southern border. That is a crisis that they made themselves. The crisis is in many ways 
a function of left policies, just like the mess that the public policy toward COVID-19 has become. And the desperation is mounting because no one buys their BS anymore. No one takes seriously any longer the bumbling words of an old man who is on TV every night telling us that we need to be careful when we get together with our families for holidays, or the ineptitude of the medical government agencies like the CDC or the FDA or the NIH. These institutions are tools of the Biden administration, and they put mouthpieces in there who no longer legitimately um, represent the needs of the American public, but they are empowered now by the Biden administration to do just the opposite, to no longer be watchdogs and to ask serious questions, but instead to parrot the misguided policy decisions of this administration. So look what they have become. The ineptitude is clear in how the government has handled the monoclonal antibody rollout. And I'm going to um, uh, reference a Wall Street Journal article from a couple of days ago that points this out very, very, very clearly when we get back in the next segment. So please stay with us in this very important show. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the doctor's lounge. Thank you for joining us today. We are talking about how the wheels are coming off the bus that the left is driving into hell. And it is obvious. It is right before our very eyes. And the COVID pandemic response is the best evidence of what they are all about. Dr. Joel Zinberg wrote a very well-written piece in the Wall Street Journal several days ago. He is a professor of surgery at Mount Sinai Medical School, and he is a former 
um, uh, economic advisor to the White House Council on Economic Affairs from 2017 to 2019. Um, and um, he pointed out the ineptness of the federal government with regard to the rollout of monoclonal antibodies. And I highly recommend this article, but I want to point out a few things in here that shows how inept the federal government is at managing a health care crisis and how they should not be the ones practicing medicine, but doctors should be. So the... Um, monoclonal antibody shortage is a, a function of the ineptness of the federal government, and here's why. So there were three monoclonal antibodies that were being um, that were being uh, manufactured: one from uh, Regeneron, one from Eli Lilly, and one from GlaxoSmithKline G- (GSK). And um, these monoclonal antibodies are proteins, laboratory-made, that provide antibodies to fight COVID faster than our bodies can make the antibodies. And it reduces the risk of hospitalization and deaths when given in a timely fashion to appropriate patients. And um, and the uh, rollout has been nothing but a cluster. The FDA granted emergency use authorization for these monoclonal antibodies, um, but on September 13th, the Department of HHS <clears throat> took over control of the monoclonal antibody program, taking it away from hospitals nationwide where these monoclonal antibodies were being distributed. And they were directing who should get the monoclonal antibodies. At the end of November, the Omicron variant came to the U.S., and the federal government paused shipments of the GSK medication, which is Sotrovimab, and they increased the shipments of Regeneron and the Eli Lilly product. And the the, um, the medical community concluded that the Regeneron and Lilly products that the government was pushing actually had very little effectiveness against Omicron. However, the GlaxoSmithKline um, uh, product, Sotrovimab, it targeted a different um, uh, part of the spike protein and was thought to be a better monoclonal antibody. So those were no not available because HHS was controlling things. And by the way, HHS is headed by a bureaucrat, a lawyer, Javier Becerra, a leftist, who has no business being involved in anything in health care. Well, the HHS kind of danced around why they did this. They were called out by medical reporters why they were doing this. And first they said that, um, that 
there was a surplus of the Lilly product, and that's why they were pushing it. And then they backtracked a few days later, saying that the decision was made by the emergence of the Omicron. But if it was, why was the most effective monoclonal antibody not available for use? And why, when the monoclonal antibody directive was was passed in May, were we still not seeing ample doses of monoclonal antibodies in December when Omicron was spiking. Well, the agency, the HHS, has backtracked. They've gone, they've danced around this issue. They've gone around and around in circles. But at the end of the day, HHS should not be the group that is controlling the distribution and the decision who should be getting monoclonal antibodies. That's not a decision for a lawyer at HHS to make. That's a decision for doctors to make. You know, this is, this is the, 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 the FDA does not have the authority to practice medicine. The FDA only has the ability to decide what drugs are safe for use by Americans. They don't decide how to use them. They don't decide when to use them. They just decide if a drug is safe to be on the market. Physicians are the ones who decide if drugs are safe or not and should be used in their patients and whether or not they should be used or not. The FDA doesn't practice medicine, nor should it. The HHS should not practice medicine, nor should it. Doctors do this. Doctors are doing, making medical decisions on a daily basis. You know, the, the, uh, the government agency positions are that doctors are prescribing things off-label. Well, guess what? Off-label use of drugs is common. And as Dr. Zinberg points out, it's the standard of care in oncology and in what I have said on this show for years and years in pediatrics. There's not a single drug that is used in pediatrics that has undergone a rigorous evaluation to look at whether or not it is safe and efficacious in children. It's not done that. We extrapolate from what we know in adults as to whether or not we can use certain drugs in children, and we adjust the doses accordingly. Doctors practice medicine, not government agencies. And so this is just the, the most egregious evidence of how the government has no place making medical decisions for people. They've, they've bumbled this from the start. They continue to, and they will in the future. How can you trust the federal government at this point to watch out for the health care of Americans? If ever there was an argument against the federal government taking over health care a single-payer system, this entire COVID mismanagement should throw cold water on that argument. The left feels the walls closing in on them. Their loyalists are no longer blissfully obeying. 
They're standing up themselves and questioning what the hell is going on. Democrat politicians are jumping off the ship. They're changing their political affiliations to the GOP. And they're citing that they've not changed, but the party has left them. Bill Maher, perfect example, a loyalist who has had enough and refuses to toe the party line. He's not afraid to be critical and ask uncomfortable questions. Joe Rogan is another. He has created a firestorm by simply asking questions, and he is no conservative. He is a Obama-Biden guy, but he's just asking questions. But the left views him as subversive. He's dangerous, don't you know? Because he's asking questions. That's now considered sedition. The White House spokesperson, Jen Psaki, is using her platform to encourage businesses like Spotify to silence him. How deplorable is that? Using the government bully platform to silence a person and keep them from speaking. The desperation to silence dissent has reached new and dangerous levels. And what I'm going to tell you right now is going to shock you. But this is absolutely true and available if you want to go online after you listen to this. Three days ago, the Department of Homeland Security issued a National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin. And do you know what the Homeland Security Department now considers one of the most serious terrorism threats facing our country? It's the online environment that is filled with misleading narratives and conspiracy theories. The government now says that, quote, misleading narratives, end quote, are the most dangerous contributor to terrorism against the U.S. Remember, newspeak. Remember, controlling language, misleading narratives. It's just another term for misinformation and disinformation. Quote, these threat actors seek to exacerbate societal friction and to sow discord and undermine public trust in government institutions to encourage unrest which could potentially inspire acts of violence. End quote. So, a federal agency is saying that, quote, to undermine public trust in government institutions, end quote, is now considered terrorism. Speech merely has to potentially inspire violence to be considered a terroristic act. This is the speech that the bulletin states constitutes terrorist danger widespread online proliferation of false or misleading narratives regarding unsubstantiated widespread election fraud and COVID-19. That's considered terrorist acts. So who defines misleading? Misleading to who? How? How is it misleading? Who falls under this? Well, under this Homeland Security um, Bulletin, Joe Rogan falls under this. 
Tucker Carlson falls under this. I fall under this for what I'm telling you right now. The children who refuse to wear masks anymore fall under this. We are all considered terrorists by this leftist regime in power. This bulletin is an extraordinary and frightening escalation of the war on free speech and the First Amendment. This bulletin equates speech with terroristic activity. This sets the table for federal action against any political enemy. You have to digest that because that's absolutely what this says. There's no mistaking what this is saying. Pointing out problems with vaccines by doctors like myself or even questioning any policy moves like I just did with the rollout of monoclonal antibodies or the possible side effects of these shots is not speech any longer in the eyes of the federal government. It's terrorism. The government can do anything necessary now, according to this bulletin, to squash the terroristic threat. This is stunning. The resistance is mounting, though. The walls are closing in on the left. What is the point of vaccine mandates when the predominant strain of Omicron and the vaccine has minimal effectiveness against it? Why are we still vaccinating children? Why are we pushing this and driving out essential workers who refuse to comply? Healthcare workers, police and firefighters, our armed forces. What's going to happen when we don't have enough medical workers? That's, that's going to happen because there are a lot of medical workers who refuse to get the needle. What's going to happen when we don't have enough police officers to keep the excuse me keep the peace and law and order breaks down in society? We're seeing it already. We're seeing this in every place around the country. Last week in Westchester County in White Plains, New York, smash and grab um, in uh, a Gucci store. And nobody, nobody lifted a finger. They just, they just accepted it. Or when a, a terrorist in the Minnesota riots set fire to a a, a federal building and and uh, and somebody died in the fire, and it was a federal crime. The judiciary comes back and says that the 20-year sentence needs to be lessened because the cause of the arsonist was righteous? This is, this is astounding. How could anybody even imagine that this is possible? What are we going to do when our armed forces are so weakened in ranks that they can't fulfill the mission that we set out to do around the world. And we're seeing that already. The, the rogue nations around the world are, are empowered because we are so weakened by our military 
um, being taken over by the left and the political weakness of our leaders. When this all happens, we have chaos. And this is what the left seeks. This is exactly what their goal is. Why? Because it gives them the lane that they need to stabilize things. And don't don't think that this is hyperbole. Don't think that this is crazy um, uh, conspiracy theory being played out. It's not. This has happened over and over and over again in every fascist and communist country that these forces predominate in. They use the power of the government to stabilize things. And this is the playbook. This is what they do. They take over health care. And the left is 51% there already, my friends. And they want to go 100%. And the reason to do that is to keep people in line. Because if you depend on the federal government for your health care, then you'll obey because you have no choice but to stay in line. They will take over the schools. And you can check that box off already. They've done that. And they're brainwashing children, even in preschool, to think the way that they think by destroying the narrative of our country and civics and everything that our country stands for. They take over the information services so that only their propaganda can be disseminated and dissent is squashed. There are not many outlets that the left does not now control. They control broadcast media, the legacy media, social media, print media. Radio is still the domain of the conservatives, but this is under attack and has been for decades. The goal is to abolish free speech, and we saw what Homeland Security has has issued just several days ago in an attempt to do so. They take over the military, and the purge has begun there. They're weeding out potential domestic terrorists. They did that at in, in the January 6th, quote, insurrection was an excuse to weed out the, the, uh, the, the, the extreme right from the military. And um, if you look at communist and you look at fascist regimes, the military presence is on the streets of every country in which those regimes predominate. And that's how you control the population. And that's what the left in this country would like to see, the very military that they disdain for for decades. They now wish to take over to be the arm of their regime, their, their takeover, their ideas. They also confiscate guns. That's important so that they can squash any kind of resistance. They shred the Bill of Rights and the founding documents and create a, quote, living, breathing document that can change with the times, which means changing with their ideology. They undermine religious freedom 
they keep people from going to church during a pandemic or synagogue, keep people from getting together for weddings or funerals. They pick winners and losers in business. Shutting down the energy sector is a perfect example of what they intend, what they've done, what they're trying to do, and what how they how they um, control the the um, the uh, economic arm of society. They take over the courts and they take over district attorneys, and we're seeing that in cities all over the country with radical. DAs that have been inserted by George Soros to sow chaos. And the list goes on and on and on. So there, I've said it. I'm now a terrorist. I'm on the watch list. What concerns me is whether enough people see through all of this and whether whether or not the cracks in the wall are big enough to watch it come tumbling down. Or is are things so spiraling out of control faster than people are waking up that it's irretrievable? I would like to think that it is not irretrievable. And that's the optimist in me. And that's what conservatives are all about. They're optimists. They believe in people. They believe in freedom. And the, um, the measures that the left will go to are are unspeakable but will people good people stand up to limit the damage that these people are willing to put people through to achieve their goals have they decided yet that the left no longer can be trusted and that being a democrat is not the same as being a leftist. Being a liberal is no longer the same as being a leftist. There's a distinction, and people need to recognize this. A friend of mine with whom I discuss politics regularly told me that he does not trust anyone anymore in politics. He thinks that the entire political class is dishonest, and unfortunately, I don't think he's alone. If enough people think the same thing, though, then the left wins by inertia. I'm going to conclude this show with a couple talking about or, or quoting a couple of very important statesmen in history. And the first is Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke was a notable British statesman, who uh, a political scientist, who said some very poignant things, the most of which, most quoted of which, is that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. But he also said that nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could do only a little. And that's very important. Everybody could do something. Burke also said that all tyranny needs to gain a foothold is for good people of conscience to remain silent. And those are are very powerful words that need to be restated today. But lest you think that those words from the 1800s no longer apply in this day and age, 
let's take this to a more contemporary statesman, which is Ronald Reagan. And I would like to hope that they did not break the mold when they created Ronald Reagan. I hope that there's another Ronald Reagan who's out there who will be able to articulate some of his brilliance. He said that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in their bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed to them to do the same. He also said several other things that I think need to um, be stated and bear repeating. He said that the trouble with liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. He said that if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. He said that government's first duty is to protect the people, not run their lives. And finally, he said, we must reject the idea that every time a law is broken, society is guilty rather than the lawbreaker. It is time to restore the American precept that each individual is accountable for his actions. Statesmen like this may be few and hard to find, but we must not let the light go out. Voting is the only antidote for this evil. And the GOP is flawed, but it is the only lifeboat off this God-forsaken island. With that, I will leave you today. I uh, hope that uh, you recognize the Edmund Burke quote. I think that's the most important. And I'll say it one more time as I close. Nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could do only a little. Thanks for being with us today and come back next week and join my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.